welcome to the Enlorn podcast series, a series that focuses exclusively on patients now referred to as having nanorare mutations. I'm Stan Crook, and I'm the founder, chairman, and CEO of Enlorm. Enlorm is a nonprofit foundation that I initiated in January of 2020. Our mission at Enlorm is to take advantage of the technology we created at Ionis Pharmaceuticals, Anisense Technology, or ASO Technology, to discover, develop, and provide experimental ASO treatments to nanorail patients, and to do that for free for life. Now we can move on to diseases of the heart. Diseases of the heart can be divided into two big buckets, diseases indigenous to the heart and diseases caused by factors not in the heart. Let's begin with the diseases of the heart caused by problems in the heart. Once again, we'll divide these into two buckets, problems with the rhythm at which the heart beats and problems with the force with which the heart contracts. The heart can beat too fast or too slow. It can also fail to beat with a steady rhythm. In any event, all of these things are called arrhythmias. Arrhythmia means a disorder of the rhythm of the heart. A heartbeat that is too fast can cause problems in two ways. Very rapid heartbeats may overwhelm the electrical system of the heart and result in irregular, very inefficient heartbeats. When the atria beat in an irregular, inefficient way, that is called atrial flutter. If the pattern is even more disorganized and inefficient, that is called atrial fibrillation. In either case, the atria are not able to fill the ventricles properly and the amount of blood that can be pumped with each heartbeat declines. That is called a a reduction in cardiac output. If that were to happen to you, you would notice that your ability to exercise suddenly became less, and that would happen abruptly. Atrial flutter or atrial fibrillation by themselves do not create immediate significant risks, but two problems can develop. First, because the heart is inefficient, blood can pool and form clots. When that happens, those clots can travel to virtually any organ. But the lungs are particularly at risk here because a a blood clot can go to the lung and that can block the flow of these tiny little capillaries that go directly with each alveolus. Such an event is called an embolus. You may have heard of pulmonary emboli When an embolus occurs in the lung, that is potentially very dangerous and very painful and requires immediate hospitalization. A second potentially catastrophic problem is that the entire Purkinje system is overwhelmed and that gets transmitted to the AV node and ventricular fibrillation occurs. Of course, that can be immediately fatal and you've seen the reaction on every medical drama that you've ever watched, the so-called cold blue. If you can have a heart that beats too fast, you can also have a heart that beats too slowly. Fast heartbeats are called tachycardias. Slow heartbeats are called bradycardias. Athletes commonly have very slow heartbeats naturally. So by and large, slow heartbeats are not terribly problematic, but if there is a pattern in which 
the atria beat consistently more frequently than the ventricles, that is called AV block, meaning that the AV node is not transmitting an electrical signal every time it is stimulated. That often reflects damage that has happened at the AV node. Perhaps a moment or two of poor oxygen supply might cause this. Another problem that can crop up is that every now and then, ventricles beat on their own. Such things are called paroxysmal ventricular contractions, or PVCs. Paroxysmal, every now and then, ventricular contractions. Once again, uh, by itself, no problem. But if PVCs happen frequently, they can then disrupt the normal electrical activity of the ventricles, leading once again to ventricular fibrillation or asystole, which is simply when the heart stops altogether. There can also be problems with the ability of the heart to generate the force necessary to pump blood efficiently. The inability to generate the force necessary to contract the ventricles can be due to a number of factors indigenous to the heart. Congenital heart disease is often a failure to construct the proper architecture of the heart. The heart, like all complex pumps, has valves. These valves are located between the atria and the ventricles to prevent backflow and where the heart connects to the large arteries, once again, to prevent backflow. Any defect in any valve can lead to regurgitation of blood or poor blood flow through the valve. Either way, heart failure can be caused if the valve is not fixed. The fetal heart has a hole in it that needs to be closed around birth. If not closed, the baby may be born blue or cyanotic, and that often must be corrected surgically. There are many other deformities of the heart that are congenital and usually require surgical correction. Some of these are caused by mutations that are passed from parent to offspring, others by the failure of normal fetal development. Other rhinotopic diseases can result from cell biological or biochemical problems in the heart muscle. Since the left ventricle must work against high pressure, these problems almost always manifest in the left ventricle. Today I won't get into the details of how heart and skeletal muscle generate the force that is necessary. Suffice it to say that the heart and skeletal muscle cells are quite unique these specialized cells are then organized in a unique way to ensure that muscles can contract and relax as needed. The key steps in generating the force in heart and skeletal muscle involving uh, cycles of depolarization and repolarization of muscle cells secondary to the movement of ions across the membranes. Here, calcium plays a particularly important role. As a result of the ion movement and depolarization of muscle cell membranes, a high energy containing compound, ATP, is generated. And that then provides the energy needed to create force. Irrespective of the molecular cause, if there is a defect in the muscle machinery that generates energy and force, the muscle fails. When that happens in the heart, it's called congestive heart failure. Key point number seven, diseases of the heart that are indigenous to the heart can include problems with the rhythm of the heart, 
the valve or problems in creating sufficient force of ventricular contraction. Like any organ, the heart can have genetically caused problems as well. Though the heart has the highest incidence of congenital defects of any organ, the majority of congenital heart defects are either multifactorial or due to developmental issues during gestation. That said, an ever larger number of mutations that cause issues in the heart are being identified. And they're quite diverse. They often include mutations that are familial, meaning that the mutation is passed from parents to children. Uh, an example of these might be the trisomies, like Down syndrome. But there are also mutations that occur spontaneously individual, and those are called de novo mutations. Typically, mutations in ion channels can cause disturbances in the rhythm of the heart. Obviously, if, if an arrhythmia is severe, it can cause the heart to pump blood poorly and lead to congestive heart failure. But it is always important to understand the primary or proximal cause of the disease. Of course, problems in ion channels can cause failure to pump effectively, and there are mutations in muscle cells themselves that are not ion channels that can cause problems as well. So that brings us to key point number eight. Congenital diseases of the heart are common. However, many congenital diseases of the heart are related to in utero development of the fetus. There are also genetically caused heart diseases as well, but we are just beginning to learn about the genetic causes of heart disease. Of course, there are also things that can happen to the heart because of problems outside the heart. For example, the heart has a lining. It's called the pericardium. Peri, meaning around. Cardium, meaning the heart. Every now and then, there can be problems with the lining, and those problems are called pericarditis. Sometimes inflammation can result in accumulation of fluid in the space between the pericardium and the heart itself. That's called pericarditis, and anytime you see the term itis, that is going to mean inflammation. So pericarditis means inflammation of the pericardial space. If enough fluid accumulates in the pericardial space, that can prevent the heart from being able to contract with the force necessary to pump blood. Another cause of pericardial fluid accumulation is bleeding into the pericardial space. Often, trauma to the chest can cause bleeding into the pericardium, and of course that is potentially acutely fatal. Key point number nine, accumulation of fluid in the pericardial space can occur either because of inflammation or bleeding. In either case, the ability of the heart to contract can be compromised, and this can be very dangerous. Just as problems intrinsic to the heart can cause arrhythmias, problems with the autonomic nervous system can also cause arrhythmias. Remember that the autonomic nervous system controls both the rate and the force of contraction of the heart and can override the systems that are indigenous to the heart. Though it's more complex than this, for our purposes, 
you can think of the cholinergic side of the system, that is the nerves that secrete acetylcholine, as systems that are designed to slow the heart. In contrast, the adrenergic or noradrenaline-secreting nerves increase both heart rate and the force at which the heart pumps. So this side of the autonomic nervous system is providing the stimulus you need for the heart to support your fight-or-flight response. In either case, too much autonomic activity can lead to arrhythmias. And the arrhythmias produced by autonomic problems are exactly the same as what we discussed in arrhythmias caused by the heart itself. And the consequences are the same. Key point number 10. Arrhythmias can be caused by problems in the heart or problems with the autonomic nervous system that controls the heart. The systemic blood pressure against which the left ventricle must pump blood can also be too high or too low. The medical term for high blood pressure is hypertension. That term refers to too much tension in the big arteries, not that the person is emotionally tense. This is one of those examples in which a medical term is often misinterpreted in a fashion that that confuses many untrained people. That said, stress can certainly cause high blood pressure. However, by far, the most common cause of high blood pressure is atherosclerosis. Remember, that word means stiff arteries. A stiff artery is caused by buildup of gunk on the wall. That narrows the lumen of the vessels, which, of course, increase blood pressure because the arteries are no longer sufficiently compliant to contract and relax in a fashion that makes it possible to manage the second-by-second changes in blood pressure that, that occur. Other causes of high blood pressure include other components that you would expect to matter. How much fluid is in the system? One way that blood volume can be increased is if you you resorb too much water and salt from the kidney. Water and salt resorption are tightly regulated, and one hormone, vasopressin, plays a particularly important role. High blood pressure is called the silent killer because it is. Most of the time, high blood pressure starts only a little high, but untreated over time, it worsens. It worsens because the high blood pressure causes many other changes in the cardiovascular system and the autonomic nervous system that control blood pressure. And these changes that are attempting to maintain normal blood pressure fail. And then they actually make things worse. Obviously, if the cause of hypertension is atherosclerosis, and that worsens, it can lead to heart attacks, pulmonary emboli, and other problems. High blood pressure overwhelms the heart, and so it is one of the most common causes of heart failure. If blood pressure is too high, then blood vessels can sometimes even burst. If it happens in the brain, that's called a stroke. If it happens in the periphery, that is called an aneurysm. In any event, These are really dangerous problems to have and need immediate intervention. Which brings us now to atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis is a chronic condition that can result in multiple severe acute events. 
Just a minute ago, we mentioned aneurysms. Remember, they can happen in any blood vessel. In fact, you can think about varicose veins as a weakening of the walls of the veins, but of course, because the pressure is low, they don't blow up. That said, the most dangerous aneurysms are of the large arteries, like the aorta or renal arteries, and the small arteries that are in the brain. Atherosclerosis can clog any artery. If the left anterior descending coronary artery, the widowmaker, is clogged, that can cause a life-threatening heart attack. Clogging of the vessels of the brain leads to strokes. Clogging big arteries going to the legs leads to caudication, a lack of oxygen to the legs that makes walking very hard. You get the picture. Atherosclerosis is really bad for you. The end stage of cardiovascular disease is often heart failure, and this is referred to as congestive heart failure because it often leads to the pooling of blood and plasma in various organs. One area in which fluid can accumulate is the lung, and that causes difficulty in breathing, cardiac congestion. Another area is the legs, and this is called edema, and the legs can swell and become very large. I think you all know that if your heart stops suddenly, that's not at all good for you, and it's called cardiac arrest. Many times cardiac arrest is preceded by ventricular fibrillation, but not always. Of course, this is the ultimate medical emergency demanding resuscitation. And there are uh, many drugs that are used in this emergency situation. For example, adrenaline, drugs that are used to dilate blood vessels like dopamine. And that's used to assure that the limit of blood flow goes to the kidneys and other key organs. And of course, oxygen is used. Ultimately, an electrical current may be used to shock the heart. Which now brings us to drugs to treat heart disease. There are literally hundreds of drugs to treat cardiovascular disease. Here though, I'll focus on heart drugs. Heart drugs include antiarrhythmics that come in a number of flavors. Beta blockers block adrenergic receptors that cause the heart to beat faster than you would like. Others directly alter ion channels that generate the electrical current that causes the heart to beat. Nitroglycerin actually dilates cardiac arteries and is used when the heart has stopped or is threatening to stop because of a heart attack or times when oxygen supply is limited, which are called angina. There are also positive inotropic agents, drugs that increase the force that the ventricles can generate that are used in patients with congestive heart failure. The granddaddy of them all is digitalis, and it's still used. It helps heart muscle work more efficiently. Other approaches focus on dilating key blood vessels to improve blood supply to key organs. If arrhythmias are thought to contribute to congestive heart failure, antiarrhythmics can be used here too. Often, a pacemaker is inserted. As congestive failure progresses and approaches being lethal, mechanical heart assist devices can be used and heart transplants are of value. In many cases, 
hypertension and atherosclerosis are the cause. As the heart begins to fail, ever more aggressive efforts to bring blood pressure and bad lipid levels into control are often needed. This may include the use of higher doses of drugs, multiple antihypertensive drugs, and even two or more lipid-lowering drugs. The main point I'm driving at is that congestive heart failure is a very serious clinical situation, and these patients are typically treated with 12 to 15 drugs simultaneously, making them even more difficult to manage. Bringing us to key point number 11, diseases of the heart can be caused by problems in the heart itself or other parts of the cardiovascular system. Key point number 12, as would be expected, for a system as complex and important as the cardiovascular system, there are many types of drugs available to treat various types of problems caused by any disorder throughout the cardiovascular system. And Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorem as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorem comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorem.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at nlorem.org. Search nlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.